0: Mommy got me this new set of paints. She let me babysit my baby brother, Herschel. He's got the measles. He's got these little red polka dots all over his body. I took my new set of paints and connected all of his thoughts. Now I'm practicing my spelling on the wall. I wrote down all of my friends' names. There's Jimmy and Christopher and Susie and, uh-oh, Uh, Hi, Mommy No, I I didn't paint on the wall Uh, But if I did Would you spank me? You would? Uh, Herschel did it God's gonna get you for that Oh, Dad, you're still up. It's not past 12, is it? 4.30? Oh. Uh, I can explain. Um, we went uh, uh, bowling. Yeah, till 4.30. Oh, don't buy that. What? You, you found some pills in my dresser drawer? Oh, Dad... You're not accusing me of using drugs, are you? Can I see those? Oh, oh, Dad, those are Tic Tacs. (laughs) You what? You smell what? Okay, okay, Dad. That's what the Tic Tacs are for. (laughs) It was just one beer. No, I didn't throw eggs at Mrs. Johnson's house. At her car, yes, but not her house. Oh Dad, you can't be serious. Two months solitary confinement in my bedroom with nothing but bread and water? Oh
1: God's gonna get you for that.
0: Sylvia I'm going to the golf course now. If my wife calls, tell her I'm in a meeting with the boss. And if the boss calls, tell him I'm having lunch with my wife. No, Sylvia, I am not asking you to lie for me. As your boss, I'm ordering you to lie for me. No, you cannot have two weeks off in April. You have to have your baby on your own time, not mine. God's going. No, wait, 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 don't say it. Not again. Look, I promise I'll be good from now on. Watch. Sylvia, uh, I've reconsidered. Why don't you take two months off beginning in April? Uh, And take the rest of the day off with pay. I'll get my own coffee. I'm trying. God's going to get you for that. Oh, God's going to get you for that. Oh, God's going ah. to get, get you for that. God's going to get you for that. No. <laughs> <God's gonna laughs> all right, all right, all right. I, gonna I can't you. take it anymore. God, if you're going to get me, get me now. Send down your bolts of lightning. I, I deserve it. I, I'm sorry. Come on, God. What are you waiting for? I'm ready for your flaming arrows of justice. Well, God, if you're not going to destroy me, have your messengers do it. They're gone, but I thought you wanted them here. Wait, what's this? Wow, this is some fancy slate. There's not a mark on it. Who does this belong to? Mother Teresa? Oh, wait. God, this has my name on it. There has to be some mistake. Mine had thousands of marks on it. I've let people down. God, I've let you down all my life. They said, you're going to get me. But... Somebody's cleaned this off. There's not even a streak. Are you, are you sure that this is mine? Wow. God, this is not what I expected from you. And to think I've been running from you all my life. God's going to get me for that. Well, in a way, they were right. You did get me. Now I expect that you want me to say something profound. Well, how about thanks?
1: Well, good morning and happy Easter. Um, I remember real well getting ready for the fourth grade because there was something new in the wind. Um, I was in elementary school in, in the 60s, and it was right after the Russians had launched Sputnik, and we, we thought they were going to beat us to the moon and, and all kinds of horrible thoughts. And so uh, our, our, our science establishment, our mathematics establishment, and education decided that we need a whole new way to teach mathematics so that we could get our kids primed to beat the Russians. And uh, I I can remember, especially going into the fourth grade, the the word was on the streets that the kids were going to be taught the new math, the new math. And before school, you know, um, all the moms got together at school for a PTA or whatever it was. I don't remember exactly, but all the room mothers were there. And I remember the moms were especially freaked and they were talking to each other. And, and us kids who were playing, we could overhear them talking. They were, they were saying, we're scared about the new math. And how are we going to be able to help our kids with their homework because of the new math? And we won't know how to teach our kids. And oh, I mean, they were just really freaked about it, almost pulling their hair out. And as and kids who were playing, we overheard them and we got scared. And I know particularly I did because I never have been that crazy about math in the first place, and I already had three years invested in the old math, and that had been a challenge in itself, and now I was going to have to learn the new math, and oh, it was really frightening, you know, but when we finally got into school, it was nothing, it was a joke, Uh, just a little bit of set theory stuff and and, and base systems, which, you know, you kind of master within like two or three days, and you're saying to yourself, there's, there's nothing here. There is no new math. And now it was, it's a joke. And even back then, I can remember late night television, it'd be like Johnny Carson, who was the Jay Leno a long time ago, and, and joking about the new math. And it was funny after a while, and, and we lost it all. Um, I can remember in the late 90s when the stock market was booming, you know? I mean, it was like free money being handed out on the market. And, and you know, we had the tech industry up and running. And, and there were businesses that were actually expanding by 1,000% every year, you know? Especially in their first or second years. And I remember picking up a magazine and seeing the, the cover, and it was kind of like a question mark at the end, but it said Dow, 30,000. We know the answer to that question now uh, but then there was that possibility. I mean, man, m- businesses are expanding so quickly that maybe the Dow might hit 30,000. I was in the barbershop getting a haircut, which is the only time I read economy magazines. And there was this one, one old guy who was a long time economist. And he was saying, no, the Dow's not going to hit 30,000. And he looked at some of these businesses that were expanding by a thousand percent. and He said, they're not going to be able to sustain that kind of growth. And he said, the market's not going up, the market's going down. And he was catching a lot of grief from all the guys who were saying, there's a new economy out there and you old guys, you're losing it. You don't understand the new economy. And he said, the market's going down. Businesses can't sustain that kind of growth. And here's what he said. I loved his comment and he turned out to be right, as we all know. He said, there may be a new economy, but there's no new math. And there isn't. Math is very objective, isn't it? We have a lot of educators here, part of New Spring and, and, and I have, you know, Unbridled respect for you guys. You go into the classroom, whether you teach elementary school, junior high school, high school, university level, I I just have so much respect for you guys who who teach. But I'm I'm assuming that they still have meetings with parents, you know? There's that part of the year set aside, actually, parts of the year set aside for teachers to like have the parents come in and talk about, you know, how little Jason, little Sarah's doing in school, and especially in individual classes. I I love watching those meetings take place because, you know, there, there are the teachers who teach the more, shall we say, subjective courses, creative writing, you know, creative writing, there's a certain latitude involved in creative writing. And so the teacher can, can be kind of, you know, subjective, maybe in his or her uh, accolade for the student. Um, same thing with, um, shall we say history, even though history has facts It depends on the filter you look at history through. So one student may say, I see history this way. Another student may, in a paper, say, I see history this way. There's some latitude in there. Um, Just about most classes have that. But from my experience, when I watch teachers meet with parents, the teachers who have it the toughest are the math teachers because there's no subjectivity in math. You know, the answer is what it is. And, 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 you know, I can remember when I was in school, I did fine with math as long as we were working with numbers, but when they started introducing letters into it, I started having trouble. And, and so I can just see myself, especially back in algebra class or whatever, raising my hand and saying, hey, um, I sort of feel that that's not the answer. You know, you've been up there at the board working these equations, but, but the way I see it and how I feel about it is that I think I have an answer that's just as good. Math teachers are not crazy about that approach. You know that? Because the answer is the answer. There's, a sub, there's, there's an objectivity to math in which the answer is the answer. And I, and I think that's what makes a lot of us challenged with mathematics. We don't get to put our opinion in because the answer is the answer. I, I, it has a whole lot to do with the series. And that's why when you look up on stage and you see the design for how life works, you see mathematics symbols. Because just as there is an answer in mathematics, there are answers in life. I, I, all of us here today, are, we either feel that life is working for us or not working for us. And for those of us who, who may be surprised because we've, we've, we've unleashed certain actions and responses in our life and we expect it to work, maybe it, we need to, like, take a few moments and think about what's going on in our world. And at the risk of becoming really boring for the next few moments, I need to share something with you. And would you grant me the latitude to be boring for the next few minutes? Because I've got I to share something with you. Sociologists, anthropologists, most of the people who study human, human life say that there have been basically three eras in the history of man. The first era uh, we would call the pre-modern era. And it's basically the hist- from, from the beginning of the history of, of, of humanity until the Industrial Revolution. And that's, that comprises a lion's share of human history. But it goes something like this. Here's the fundamental tenet of pre-modern, pre-modern mankind. Man's like walking around the earth saying, where did I come from? Well, what's the meaning of life? You know, we, we're kids, we grow up, we get married, you know, we, we find something to do to bring food on our table, and then we live out our lives and we die. And so pre-modern men and women were asking, what's the meaning of life? Where did I come from? Why am I here? What's life all about? And the idea of pre-modern human beings was this, that there is some higher source that's going to reveal to us where we came from, and what life is all about. And that's where all the religions of the world were formed during that time. And all kinds of ideas came up. There are those who said there's one God. There's just one higher source, and we'll get it from him. And then there were those who said there are many gods. They're polytheistic. They said, man, there are gods everywhere. There's a god of this, the god of that, and all these gods are going to reveal to us in their own good time why we're here, who we are, what we're doing. All kinds of crazy ideas. There was one school of thought that the earth is on the back of a giant turtle going along. But there's a higher source that's going to tell us who we are, why we're here, and what the meaning of life is. But along came the Industrial Revolution, and life changed. Science brought all kinds of answers medical answers, travel answers. Financial answers. Science was all, and, and then for those of us, you know, who, who have lived for a while and we watched the, the the changes, especially in the 20th century, we saw knowledge become exponential. You know, at the turn of the last century, people were like riding in carts and and you know, no 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 technology, no no telephones, you know, no, no mass transit, no jet travel. I mean, it was a whole different world. We watched knowledge explode, and especially in the area of science. And there came the modern era with the Industrial Revolution that said, God is dead. There is no higher source that's going to tell us who we are, why we're here, what life is all about. We are going to figure it out. Science is going to tell us who we are, where we came from, and it's going to answer all our questions It's going to bring in this utopia. And along came the theory of evolution, that the sophistication and complexity of life was all the product of enough r- random rolls of the cosmic dice. Here we are, Voila. But instead of bringing in utopia, science, like the old movie Metropolis, science scared us to death and raised more questions than it answered because we came to the middle of the 60s, and all of a sudden we had enough nuclear weaponry to destroy the earth many times over. Science had not revealed to us the answer. It helped our lives and made our lives more convenient. But then we had to look in the mirror and realize that we're having a harder time holding our marriages together than our grandparents did. And we're struggling to rear our kids. And, and in this world with so much knowledge, we know so much. So then came the postmodern era. Postmodern era really came in with the end of the 60s, pretty much in the 70s. That's where we're living right now. Remember the pre-modern era said, we don't know how we got here and who we are and what we're all about, but some higher source is gonna reveal it. The modern era said, science is gonna figure it out for us and explain it to us. In the pre-modern era, the idea is, there is no answer. No objective answer. I mean, I think this, you think that, whatever you think is fine, whatever I think is fine. If this is what you believe, then that's truth for you, and then this is truth for me, and everything is okay, everything is fine. That's comfortable, isn't it? You know, if you're sitting across from somebody that you work with, and they're saying, I've got life all figured out, I think that aliens brought us here from another planet, and I see black helicopters in my backyard, you say, great, if that, that, that's good for you. And then you talk to somebody else, and they have a whole different take on it. You say, That's good for you. That's what you believe. That's cool. It's very comfortable to live in a postmodern culture. But there's a problem with it. If you believe anything is okay, it's like believing anything is the answer to a mathematics problem. There are things in life where everything is not okay to believe because it has ramifications, it has repercussions. I've never been one for watching daytime television because, quite frankly, they don't have a lot of sports on daytime television. But I, I, I started hearing about this, this guy who had this afternoon program named, Doc, I guess they call him Dr. Phil. I don't think I've ever watched the whole broadcast. I just watched a little bit of a couple of them. But uh, Dr. Phil, I guess, is from Texas, which I always give him a little bit of a pass from being from Texas. And uh, he, he talks to people, has people come in his set. These are people who are having issues with life, and they're telling them their most gut wrenching problems on national television because, after all, he doesn't invite people who have their lives all together there. And so these are people who are, who are having their issues in life, and he's talking to them to give them advice. And, and so, from what I can understand about the program, these, these people are advocating why, they're, they're explaining why the reasoning, what the reasoning is behind what it is that they're doing. In the relationship, either husband and wife, you know, parents, kids, whatever. They're saying, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. This is what I'm thinking. Because after all, we live in the postmodern culture where anything you think is okay. There's a question that Dr. Fields began to ask. It's actually become part of our jargon and our nomenclature as a culture. Because what he's doing is he's talking to postmoderns who are saying, anything I want to do is fine. He's trying to explain to them that what they're doing has ramifications. So he asks a question, doesn't he? What is the question Dr. Phil asks us now become part of our nomenclature? How's that working for you? Yeah. He's saying, there are just some things in life that are like mathematics. And regardless of what my opinion is, your opinion is, or what anybody thinks, there's just some stuff that won't work. That's why I'm bringing this series. I'm starting it today, and it's called How Life Works. There are five things that all of us need to know And those five things are how life works. And if you don't know them, just, you know, here's the deal. Forgive me for breaking a sentence, but, you know, addition works whether I agree with it or not. Addition works even if I don't know about it. That's the thing about mathematics. You know, human beings didn't invent mathematics. We just discovered it. God spun mathematics into the universe before we ever got on the planet, you know mathematics are, are totally objective. And there's just some things in life that are completely objective that you and I need to know if we're going to understand how life works. Well, the, the, the basic, the, the most fundamental aspect or our basic of mathematics is addition, isn't it? You know, we use a plus sign. To communicate addition. And that's the very first thing that kids learn. Actually, they learn it before they, they go to school. They understand very clearly that if I have this and if I, if I bring this, I'm going to have more than I had to start out with. And, and I think kids especially learn it when it comes to money. They may not know the meaning of money, but they understand addition. So let's think about that for a moment. If we're going to think about some aspect in life that's like addition, it comes down to this, I believe God adds. If, if you want to understand the world, if you want life to work for you, this is the very first thing you, have, you need to understand. God adds. God always brings. God does not take away. God gives. If you understand that in life, it will, it will very much help you understand who God is. A lot of people run from God because they have the feeling that God takes away, but God gives. God adds. For instance, how much are you paying to live on the earth? You may be paying for other things, but you and I, we don't have to pay for living on the earth. God gave us the earth. God made the world in all of its beauty. And by the way, isn't it beautiful? It's wonderful that God did the earth in earth tones because it's comforting for us to see blue sky and green grass. You know, he could have made the, the ground red, could have made the sky orange if he'd want to. But he's so smart, he gave us this beautiful world. What are you paying for oxygen these days? You need it, don't you? If, if you don't think you do, just hold your breath. We don't have to pay for oxygen. And some of like to say, well, wait a minute, Mark. I have to pay for water. But you don't really pay for water. You pay for, you pay for the delivery system. God has given us this wonderful earth to enjoy. God gave you your life. God gave you your body. And many of us can point to so many more things that God has given us. God has given us families. God's given us friends. God's given us the ability to earn a living and to gain resources. God adds. God adds few weeks ago in a series called silence we were talking about the guy job whose life imploded in one day and job said something and a lot of people quote it we need to understand that it's not right at the end of all of his issues job said the lord gives and the lord takes away blessed be the name of the lord well we know job chapter one it wasn't god who was taken away from Job; it was someone else god adds there's a word that the Bible invented, that God invented to help us understand what God does and how he adds in our life, and it's the word grace, G-R-A-C-E. Grace means God gives. In fact, you know, there, there was a, there's a, an acronym that someone has invented to help us understand grace, each word beginning with the letter of grace, G-R-A-C-E. And it goes like this, God's riches at Christ's expense. We're celebrating Easter today. What's Easter about? Easter is about the fact that Jesus willingly gave His life for us, and three days later walked out of His grave under His own power. Grace—it just means that God wants to add to you. God wants to give to you, and and because Jesus died for you and took your sins out of the way, God is now freely able to just pour out all His good stuff in your life. God adds. Let me read a verse of Scripture to you in the book of First Timothy chapter six, verse seventeen. It says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. And all of you who had stock in Bear Stearns can agree with that. Their trust should be in God. Look at this. Who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. I'm I'm talking to some of you today. And in your mind... You don't want to get close to God because you're saying to yourself, if I were to get close to God, he would take something away from me. God would make my life miserable. Did you read what I just said a moment ago from the Bible? God gives you all the things that you have so that you will enjoy life. I could be talking to somebody and you say, well, Mark, I just, I feel God pursuing me. It's like God is chasing me and I don't know what he's up to, but I'm afraid that if I were to like stop and really have an encounter with God, that it would be ugly and God would just really take things away from me. And some of you today, you know, quite candidly, you're sort of running from God. You kind of feel his presence in your life, but it's like, I don't really know if I want to go to church What you should understand first, and I've been thinking about how to say this, getting ready for this message, and I hope this is good. Uh, Check it out and see what you think about it. But I honestly believe that God is the ultimate victim of identity theft. You know, we're concerned about identity, aren't we, identity theft? Because somebody can steal your credit card number, somebody can steal your social number, and they can actually buy things and do business as though they were you. And I think God is the ultimate victim of identity theft. People have started wars in his name that he had absolutely nothing to do with and that he hated. Religion has done myriad stupid things in the name of God. And some of you have talked to your friends and you say, hey, I'm a Christ follower and they're saying, I don't want anything to do with that because Christians have started all the wars and Christians have done this. And God is the ultimate victim of identity theft. God does not take, he adds, And that's why I would would ask you today, if you're sort of running from God, if you feel God chasing you, God is out to do you good and not harm. I read a story about a woman who had to work late, really, really, really late, almost midnight. And by the time she left the office, she was pretty much the only person in the building. Her car was sitting solitary out in the middle of an empty parking lot. And it was late and she was frightened, like all of us men or women would be. And so she made her way out to her car, got her courage up, got behind the wheel, started the motor, and it was on her way home. And then, as soon as she got on the road, she looked out, and there were like headlights behind her. And she thought to herself, just coincidence. So she made the turn, and that car turned. Coincidence. But when you're the only two cars on the road, it really is scary. She made another turn, the car turned behind her. And so she sped up, the person behind her sped up. And at this point, she thought, I'm being followed. So she, at this point, just abandoned her normal route home and just started making turns trying to lose the guy behind her. But it didn't work because every time she turned, he turned. And then every time she sped up, he sped up. And so at this point, she is now driving her car as fast as she possibly can in order to keep control of the car. Up ahead, though, she saw the lights of a convenience store. And she said to herself, if I can just run my car right up to the door, jump out, run in, and ask that person for help, maybe the person behind me would be scared off. And she did exactly that screeched into the parking lot of the convenience store, jammed the car into park, even left her keys in it, ran out of the car, ran into the store, and sure enough, the guy behind her in the car pulled up behind her car, his car screeched to a stop. He jumped out, jerked open the back seat door of her car where a serial rapist was hiding. The guy behind her had watched the guy get into her car right before she got into the parking lot, her car in the parking lot. And he was chasing her not to harm her, but to help her. Guys, when I read that story, I said to myself, that's God. Some of you, you're, you may feel like you're a long way from God, but you have this sense that some, for some reason God is there. And you come from religious experiences in which somebody stole God's identity, and you're saying to yourself, if I ever have an encounter with God, I'm really going to suffer like the, the drama you saw a few moments ago. God's going to get me for that. But the first thing you need to know to know how life works is that God adds. God brings it. God gives. My favorite Bible story, without a doubt, is in John's Gospel, chapter 4. It's really in an interesting part of the book of John. In John 3, Jesus is talking to somebody who needs God. In John 4, he's talking to somebody who needs God. But in John chapter 3, it's the leading seminarian of that day, the ultimate Bible expert in Jerusalem. And Jesus is trying to explain to him. In fact, that's the, in that particular encounter, that's where Jesus introduce, introduces the term born again or the new birth. And he said to this seminarium, you have to be born all over again. The guy couldn't get it, went right over his head. In John chapter four, Jesus is talking to the very last person in his whole region that would ever be considered Christ's follower. Let me back up for a moment. Tell you a little bit of the story. The area where Jesus was, there were like three regions, and one you know, one on top of the other. If you can just kind of imagine, you know, here's one up here, and one in the middle, and one at the bottom. And the one at the bottom is where everybody wanted to be. It was Judea. It was like where all the cool people were. It was where all the religious people were. It was like, you know, where Jerusalem was, the capital. It was the place to be. At the top, it was Galilee. That's where Jesus was from. And the people were poorer up there. And even though they were devout, they weren't, you know, it's kind of considered the have-nots. And so Jesus needed to go from down here to up here. Let me, let me modernize this a little bit. You know how the people from Michigan are. They say if Michigan was a hand, you'd be here. Um, well, Imagine it like this, you know. Imagine the bottom region, you know, the place where everybody want to be. Imagine the bottom reason, region being Texas, okay, and the top region being Kansas. Now, I am from Texas. Kansas is my home. My deal is, in order to get from Texas to Kansas, I have to go through Oklahoma. And uh, I, I've often thought, wouldn't it be great to just sort of move Oklahoma out of the way so that I could go directly from Kansas, you know, to the Dallas-Fort Worth area? And all of you from Oklahoma are saying, I don't know if I really like this all this much. But just imagine, if you will, Jesus in Texas needs to go to Kansas. And he's saying to his disciples, I have to go through Oklahoma. And the disciples are saying, but we don't want to go through Oklahoma. And it wasn't, you know, now let's get away from this sort of American context. Let's go back to Jesus' time. As I said, the most devout people were in Judea. Samaria was a place where people had, like, compromised their faith. They, were, they had intermarried with other, other peoples from other parts of the world. And their belief system was all screwed up. It was so bad that if a devout Jewish person saw a Samaritan walking on the same side of the road, the Jewish person would walk on the other side of the road to keep his feet from becoming defiled. And yet Jesus told his disciples, I have to go through Samaria. The reason he had to go through Samaria was there was somebody he wanted to talk to. Let me just kind of say it like this. The disciples and Jesus get to this place, and off the road is a little town called Sychar. Right on the road, there's a well there. They'd been there for a long time. And the women of the city of Sychar would go out every morning and maybe every evening to collect water for their families. They would do it in the morning and the evening because it was the cool part of the day. And beyond that, it was a time where people got together to socialize, swap stories, gossip, but Jesus stopped there right at lunchtime and his disciples went down to McDonald's or Burger King or whatever to get lunch and they left Jesus there all by himself. And along comes a solitary woman in the very heat of the day to get water, a time when nobody else would come. I'm guessing she didn't go in the morning or the evening when the other women were there because when they were talking, they were probably talking about her. She'd been married five times and was sleeping with a man who wouldn't give her his name. Man, you talk about life messed up. I mean, this woman was just living out her days, marking time until she died. Series of bad choices it caused her life to be ruined. And yet, can you imagine? And you know how Jesus is, you who you, you follow him. Our Lord is something. Our Lord said to his disciples, I got to go there. There's somebody I need to meet. And when she came over there, you know, to the well, you know, it was like, their eyes wouldn't have met. You get on the elevator, you know what it's like when you get on the elevator, like nobody looks at each other, everybody look, looks up at the floors, like something's gonna happen up there, maybe something, you know, someone's gonna monitor where the NCAA is gonna come up. I mean, <laughs> you know, I think this is what the encounter would have been like. You know, she would have come and gotten her water, wouldn't have said a thing to Jesus, she would have averted his gaze. But like I say, you know how Jesus is, and he's there, he's made this whole trip for her. So instead of beating her over the head with the Bible, he just says, um, can I have a drink, please? You talk about freaking. (laughs) Because, as I said, you know, Jews and Samaritans wouldn't walk on the same side of the street, and a man wouldn't even talk to a woman in those days. It was a strange culture, and especially not a a Jewish man talking to a Samaritan woman, and certainly not a woman who'd been married five times, divorced five times, sleeping with a man who wasn't her husband, and she just jumped back and said, you know, why are you asking me for a drink of water? It was to that question... That I think Jesus gave us the best explanation of what we're talking about today. And I want to read one verse to you, and you think about this. Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God gift, addition sign, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. Now who's Jesus? Jesus is God in skin. What is he saying to her? He said, if you knew who I was, you would ask, and I would give. See, many of us don't understand that about God. We've hung with religious people who've skewed our view of God. Somebody has stolen his identity. Somebody has made you think that God is somebody who is out to get you. When in reality, what is God saying to you? God is saying, if you knew who I was, you would ask, and I would give. It's Easter. We're celebrating that about 2,000 years ago, God sent his son into the world. And he dealt with the stuff that separates us from God. What separates me from God, or what separated me from God, is all the wrong stuff that I've done. God is perfectly good, (laughs) I'm perfectly bad. And I've done all kinds of stuff in my life that would separate God from me. God God can't just sweep sin under the rug any more than a a judge with integrity can just quash an indictment because he wants to do so capriciously. God is a God of perfect love, but he's also a God of perfect justice. So how's God gonna deal with all my stuff, the stuff that separates him from me? There was only one answer. God sent his son into the world Jesus didn't begin in Bethlehem. He was God who became human. And for 33 years, the world got to see what God would be like if God was human. What a cool story. Jesus lived those 33 years, never messed up one thing. I can't live 33 minutes without messing up one thing. Jesus lived 33 years, never did anything wrong. Then he lay on a Roman cross, and guys, could I just tell you this? Listen, if you're holding a Bible in your lap today, or if you ever hold one, let me just tell you what this message is in one sentence: God treated Jesus like He had committed your sins, so that God could treat you like you had lived like Jesus. That is the message of this book. Since the 16th century, mathematicians have used a particular emblem, an ideogram, to communicate mathematics and addition. Isn't it ironic that the emblem we used used to show addition is a cross? In fact, it's, it's the most popular ideogram in the Western world. When we, when we want to show that When we start with this and bring this into this situation, we have addition. We use a cross. And every time you see a cross, you should realize that's God's plus sign to show you everything that God wants to give you. When Jesus died and rose from the grave, he made several things possible. So remember, Jesus said, if you knew who God was, you would ask and he would give. Here's what God wants to give you. This is so cool. I, I, at this point, words are gonna fail me because how do, I, how do I explain how wonderful God's gift is? God wants to give you a relationship with him. God not, God, not only, wants to be, God only wants to be your friend. He wants you to be his son, his daughter. Think about this. God gave his son. You know, John 3, 16 is the most well-known verse in the Bible. It says, God so loved the world that he gave, plus sign, that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. God wants to be, listen, God would give anything to be your friend. God would give anything to be your father. That verse is so cool. It's like a giant funnel. There's the broad end of the funnel that says God loves the whole world. That's everybody. One of the things that breaks my heart, and I'm watching it play out in this political cycle, is we're so divided as a people, aren't we? We're divided by political party. Man, there's so much ugly. We're we're divided by race. We're divided by culture. Is this a blue state or a red state? We're so divided. And yet, isn't it great to know that with God, there is no division? I mean, God's not concerned whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, whether you're white or Afro-American or Asian or any race. God's not concerned if you live in the poorest part of the town or the richest part of the town. God loves whosoever. The funnel is brought at the top. God so loved the world, but now it gets very narrow so that whosoever, that's one at a time. Hey, God doesn't look at you collectively. He looks at you individually. The Bible says God knows the numbers of the hairs on our head, which in my case is always a declining balance. (laughs) God knows your name. He knows where you live. He knows what you love. He knows what hurts you. God knows what causes you pain and what your dreams are. God loved the world. He gave his only son so that whosoever, that's just you, that's one person. Oh, and hey, you say, Mark, man, God, God, I'm not religious. Did you read that there? I didn't see that there, did you? You say, well, you don't know how I screwed up my life. I've, I've messed it up so many ways. I've done, and Mark, you, you, don't know what, you don't know what I did on spring break. No, but I know this. The verse says, God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God only wants to give you a relationship with him. He wants to give you everlasting life so that when this life is over, it's just the prelude. The main volume is yet to come. If you knew who he was, you would ask and he would give. If you want life to work for you, that's the very first thing you need to know. That instead of running away from God, you turn around and you say, God, I need you. I'm, I'm coming to you. I, I'm coming to you with all my mess-ups and all my, my, my bad stuff and all the things that you know about me, God. I'm coming to you because I honestly believe that you will add to my life. And that's what God wants from me today. Guys, I, I just want to pray with you for a moment, if I could, please. Would you just bow your heads with me? I'm talking to some of you here today, and you're, you're wonderful people. And and yet, you've never really had a relationship with God. And you're wondering, how do I stand with God? In the last few moments, we've talked about how that God treated Jesus like he had committed all your sin so he could treat you like you'd live like Jesus. And what did God say? If you knew who I was, you would ask, and I would give. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to give you an opportunity to ask. Because if God knows the numbers of hairs on your head, he's sure listening to you. And if you've never asked Jesus to come into your heart and life, you can do that right now. God, listen, anybody who wants Jesus, God has never told no. Never. God's never told anyone no, and he won't tell you no. If you've never invited Christ into your life, you can pray. And I'm going to give you a prayer to pray. You don't have to use my words. But if you would like to have a prayer to pray, I'm going to pray one, and then you can repeat it after me. I'm going to pause so that you've got time to think about what you're saying. But if you'd like to have a relationship with God, if you'd like to be God's son, God's daughter, you can pray this prayer with me and God will listen to you. Here we go Jesus, I know I've done wrong, but I believe you died for me. I believe you arose from your grave. I am receiving you today as my Savior and my King. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer with me, I know it happened just like that. But it's the biggest thing that ever happened in your life. I have something I want to give you. It will cost you anything. Uh, what I've got here is we have, a, we have a little packet. It's got some DVDs in it and some stuff that just helps you know how to take your first step in following Jesus. Helps you understand the decision you just made. will not cost you anything. It's just our gift to you. You say, well, Mark, I, I'm never going to come to New Spring Church. That's not what we're concerned about. We're concerned about you knowing Jesus. And so here's the deal. When you came in today, you got a worship folder, I hope. We had about 800 more than we expected last night uh, in our in our service, and so we're running a little behind. But if you have a worship folder, would you just put your name and address on there and check the box that says, I pray with Mark. And if you didn't get a worship folder, just reach in and grab something paper in front of you in the back of the pew. Just put your name and address on there. And you can drop it in the boxes by the back door, or the bottom of the staircases. I will mail this to you this week. But I am obsessive compulsive and I can't wait for anything. If you are like me and you don't want to wait, I, I totally understand. Here's what I would do. If you want, don't want to wait, you want to take this with you today. If you've accepted Christ, just bring your card back to Guest Services or, or New Spring Store, right out through the middle there. You don't have to make a speech or anything. Just say, "I pray with Mark today," and they'll give you this, and you can take it home with you today, because we want you to know what a wonderful gift you have in Jesus Christ.